Hello, hello, my beautiful friend. Hello, hello, my beautiful friend. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm in your home, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, very grateful to uh, spend some time with you again and reconnect and, and hang out. It's been fun, man, so thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, um, you've got a very interesting journey uh, as someone who spent four years as a surgeon and... What was the total? How many years were you studying before? Before I that? studied eight years, eight years university, and then uh, four and a half years working in the surgery. So 12, 12 years exposure, yes, to the medicinal practice and yes. all the trials and tribulations. Cool. So um, yeah, I guess give me a little flavour of your your journey into that because I know from a young age you was exposed to. The medical practice very early on in your life. Uh, you mentioned as well to me uh, off mic about your grandmother who yes. was like a big um, uh, part of your family and yeah so I guess tell me a little bit about your your introduction. I know you were born with, with a heart defect mm -hmm. right? Um, so yeah coming from a family with medical background um, I remember from a very young age my basically my grandmother and my mother were telling me that I will be a great doctor. Interesting. So you'll be a great doctor, great doctor. And um, somewhere along the way, I cannot tell you that it was my decision or their decision. Mm -hmm. They imposed on me by telling me I'm going to be a doctor. Or was it my truly own wish to become a doctor? I can't really tell you. Right. It's it was stuck in my head that okay, when I grow up, I'll be a doctor. Right. From from quite a young age, was that um, message? Was that message yes, quite clear? Yes, this message was very clear from a very young age, and till I was like um, fifteen, where I discovered uh, drugs, sex, mm -hmm. and rock and roll. This. <laughs> change everything because I felt like uh, maybe I'm not doing this maybe this is nothing I really mm -hmm. want to do and this came back after I graduated from high school and started traveling I had this idea of maybe this is my path okay but again is it my path or is it something that has been implanted in my in my head from a very young age uh, the fact that I was born with a heart failure and I had a heart operation. You're thanks four to, years old, right? I was, was four years old. Yeah. Thanks to my grandmother, who was a pediatrician. Uh, important to know, coming from Poland, mm -hmm. it was a communist system. Mm -hmm. the, um, the standard, the medical standard was very low. Mm -hmm. There was no one who was capable of doing this type of operations back right. in Poland. So there was an organization that... Uh, was funded by um, public money mm -hmm. or, or, the, or the government, and they were sending 10, 10 kids e each year to the States where they can have a heart operation. For and like, I assume, the most critical yes, scenarios was, and situations. It was always the most critical kids with the most severe heart failures, right. which mine was not the case. Oh, okay. Mine was... It's a very common and um, often diagnosed heart failure, but if you don't have the heart operation, you will still not get very old. 
Oh, really? Okay. It's a necessary heart operation, yes. Right, okay. You can live with that for a long period of time, but eventually it will cause so many problems that you don't get very old. Right, okay, so not necessarily super urgent it's in the short super term, urgent, but yes. long, long term, term probably want to get it fixed. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And right. uh, thanks to my grandmother, who was a pediatrician, had a connection to this organization. Mm -hmm. She basically, I wouldn't say organized, but she put a lot of effort to make sure that me and her grandson mm -hmm. would get a spot and uh, could travel with my mom when I was four. Mm -hmm. So that was maybe basically the first contact I had with medicine and how medicine helped me back in the days. Do you remember much from that age and of four not, years old? Not much, or not much. Not, not going much. to America, really? I remember, of course, I remember the flight. I remember playing with the kids. But I don't. Rem I remember the time in the in the in mm -hmm. the in the um, yeah. hospital. It was a, a Christian hospital, so there were like nuns okay. run running the joint for the kids. I remember talking, talking. I couldn't speak English, but have an interaction with the nuns and the right. kids. So there were kids from all over the world. Ah, interesting. And um, it was a very difficult time because based on what my mom told me, right. I was, uh, I remember, I don't remember, she told me that after the operation when I was suffering of pain as a young child, I was blaming her for causing this on me. Oh, right. So my mom told me that was very intense for her, obviously. And I can imagine that this left some kind of traumas and scars. Right. Uh, which I'm not aware now, consciously, but I'm for sure it must have left some, some traumas. I suppose at that age you don't really understand what's going on, right? Why you're understand. being shipped off I to America. I was running around. You're left with a big scar yes. across your chest. And well, they were explaining to me multiple times, we go to America, it's the land of freedom. They sold the whole story, narrative oh, to me as a, as a journey. Well, I suppose that was a strong narrative at that time, right? Coming from communists. Yes, absolutely. Like, you, know, you, go, you go somewhere else where it's everything and you... People would take care of you, and you get presents, and so on, so on. Ah, interesting. And that's how they convinced me, and convinced. I didn't have much of a choice, but you always try to make it as as, as nice as possible mm -hmm. for a kid. Yeah. And I remember that, and when I came back, I had so many toys, and I was eventually very happy about it, and I f quickly forgot about my heart operation. And, <laughs> and till today, I never, ever think of myself as someone... As someone who has a heart failure, right. who has a heart problem, who had a heart operation, mm -hmm. never. I always think of myself as a healthy human being. Mm -hmm. And maybe that could be also a very strong indication for why I am the way I am. Mm -hmm. A healthy human being, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so after that, I remember <clears throat> it became stronger, this... Uh, you would be a great doctor, you would be a great doctor, you would be a great doctor. Mm -hmm. It's funny because it was always towards me. They never did this with my sister. Ah, okay. So, I, I don't know. It was just, it was strange. Maybe they had a common sense, a sixth sense. Maybe mm -hmm. they felt like uh, this. he's more interested. I don't know. I remember always going with my grandmother. and I, mm -hmm. Maybe I was more interested in what she's doing. And Right. Well, it seems like you had quite a close relationship from stories you've told me. She seems like she was quite a strong character within mm. the family. So, she was, yes. someone you naturally gravitated towards. Yes, absolutely, to absolutely. She was like the uh, the anchor right, okay. for everyone. She was a very kind, 
very lovely and very strong um, a woman. Mm -hmm. So you drew a reasonable amount of inspiration, I imagine. But only till I was seven, because we left Poland when I was seven, so we immigrated to Berlin, right. and that's when we the connection became less. Ah, okay. So that's when we started seeing my grandparents just twice a year. Right. Okay. So then it was just my mom, mm -hmm. her mom, that uh, was like representing my grandma. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, so somewhere along the way I believed or I thought becoming, becoming a doctor, this is your path. Yeah. I got lost in translation <laughs> or I lost track of this idea and um, started traveling and discovering myself and then somewhere along my journey when I was 25, I was in Berlin, I remember I was in Berlin and it felt like now is the time for me to do something reasonable. Right. Try and be normal to some yes, degree. To fit into the <laughs> society with a degree of university profession, degree, profession. And a career path. Exactly. Because I was spending, after I graduated high school, I spent four years just traveling. Traveling, mm -hmm. working in bars, mm -hmm. late nights, travel, work, travel, travel, see mm -hmm. the world, which I really enjoyed and was very necessary. But somehow I felt this urge, oh, you're 25. And I, uh, I was writing applications because in Germany you write application to, a, to an institution for a um, particular, uh, not subjects, particular uh, like law, medicine. The departments. Departments. And they distributed for the whole Germany. Right, okay. So I was writing application each year and they said, oh, your marks, because in Germany you get a, a spot in the university uh, depending on your HSC marks. And my okay. HSC marks were very low. Right, okay. So they told me, you have to wait, you have to wait, you have to wait. And somehow when I was 25 and I had this feeling, oh, now is the time to, to do something, mm -hmm. I received this letter where it says, congratulations, we have a university and you can start studying and you have one week time to make a decision. So I was overwhelmed and I was pretty much um, put in a situation where I have to make a choice right. right now. And my parents said, this is a sign, this is do right. it. And I, I was very skeptical because it was not in Berlin, it was in a different city, uh, like 150k south of, of Berlin. Mm -hmm. And intuitively, I said, okay, I just do it. Mm -hmm. That's that's a sign to do it. And I just went to Halle. This is the city I study. And in one week, I moved there. I found a, a wow. room where I can live. I moved all my stuff there. And the next thing I know, I sit in a university with 25. And I've got anatomy. And I was realizing, this is it. This is real now. This is real now. You are a medical student. I was like, wow. And to be honest, it took me a year, a year to realize that I'm a medical student on my way to become a doctor. It was, it was very surreal. It was not real. It yeah. was very strange because... Um, what was strange about it? Like, was, was, it, was it the transition of going from a pretty relaxed, informal mode of living to the seriousness of studies and seriousness of you know the implications and consequences of your future role mm -hmm. in society it was a combination of both and the fact that 
I had this weird image that as a medical student, you are something better uh, okay. or something very important. Mm -hmm. But I've experienced it as a medical student. Every time I met someone, I told them I'm studying medicine, they put me automatically on the top shelf. Right. And this is what I found now is not very healthy. In what respect? Why is it not healthy? Because your ego grows already right. in a very young age. Right. In medical, medical as a medical student, your ego rises. Right. Suddenly, people are looking up to Suddenly you. Suddenly, people are looking up to you, and everyone's just, "Oh, wow, amazing! How do you do it?" My entire family. Oh, we are so proud of you. Right. And all these things have, for me, a negative influence on the ego. Right. Because it just feeds your ego. It's reinforcing that it's sense reinforcing of identity. It's reinforcing identity. Oh, I'm a medical student. Oh. Which I... Which I bet you loved, really, at that I time. Loved, right? but I Being was still very humble. Because, like I said, I never identified myself as a true medical student or as a doctor. I was always me, Tomek. Okay, this, so you did guy, resist that a yes, little bit. Yes, there was a resistance to a certain extent, but my ego was still rising but it was still if I compare myself to others I was still very humble very humble that's important I think because yeah I remember a lot of guys I met and it changed with each year it was changing they were getting more and more doctors they were like in the third fourth year and they, were already, they already knew everything they were mm -hmm. really treating everyone I was always saying listen guys you are just medical students you don't know jack shit keep it cool yeah. right so but it's okay. I, I found my group of people who were similar to me. Mm -hmm. They treated medical students as just a university. We there to learn, but we were human beings. And I had things I loved, mm -hmm. of course, hobbies. And and I was not one hundred percent a medical medical student or a doctor because I was not identified. I was right. not. Still I did early not identify myself as this person. And all there is is just that. Mm -hmm. It was never the case with me. And the people I was surrounded by it was the same. But this was getting more and more distinguished. 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 So the medical students were two groups, like the group I was, the elder, older students, and the ones that were like, mm, we're still students, we can do other things, we're happy, we enjoy, we travel. And then you had these, started medicine when they were 18, 19, and they're super focused. Right. All there is, okay. is just this. Right. Nothing else. Laser focus. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. That's yes. an interesting divide. Yeah, because I suppose you, you you're arriving at a completely different point in time for a Absolutely. lot of people. Like I just look back at the difference between me and at 25 and 18. Like this almost night and day. Like you know, you're still really a child when you're 18. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, having no life experience, just you, you obviously just got a naturally different perspective on absolutely. the world. But. Um, I guess it's interesting from what you say about this this elevated role of the doctor in society, right? Like it's it's literally at the altar. It's the very pinnacle of success in our culture, and yes. uh, uh, it's something I can relate to in some respects because because my father always encouraged me away from a manual labour job, and even from a young age, I understood. Oh, okay, I have two choices: doctor or lawyer. <laughs> you know, even as a young child that doesn't really know much about the big wide world I knew it was like one of those two things to aspire to what those 
expectations were, you know. So it's funny how we elevate these roles when we'll probably get into this a little bit and maybe how dangerous it is to some respects to, to put doctors on this on this pedestal mm-hmm. and, and the and the implications of that. Yeah. So um, so back to your story because I really like to ex- explore this 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 training and this this learning the practice because something I'm interested in is how how much critical thought could you apply in your in your practice because as an outsider looking in it seems pretty rigid it seems very much like a doctrine that yes. is that is presented as gospel for you to learn and I just can't imagine maybe I'm wrong I just can't imagine there's much room for criticism or for introducing new concepts or evolving the practice in some way challenging there's no space for a critical thinking there's no space for uh, individuality Um, it's very rigid rigid and there's no space for questioning like with each year you have different subjects and what you basically do you is it like a dogma you, you you learn it and you have to memorize like a mm-hmm. like an ai this is what i do when this and this and this happens mm-hmm. or this and this appears according to algorithm mm-hmm. based on studies made by the pharmaceutical industry mm-hmm. that's it period so just Pattern recognition. It's all pattern which recognition. Which is super mechanical it's and robotic, m- yes, right? Yes, mechanical, robotical, and you take it as granted. I remember there were very few students that were questioning. Most of us, including me, were just studying, 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 exam. Mm-hmm. Next, study, study, exam. Mm-hmm. First of all, you forget so much. It's incredible. Yeah, and second of all is you don't question. You just say, ah, because it's science-based. So the science is established, right? Yeah. It's established, exactly. You take it as something which is true mm-hmm. and it's there to help. It makes sense, mm-hmm. right? But um, I was always assuming that it's for the benefit of humanity. This is the right way. Mm-hmm. And this is there to help and heal others. Interesting. So, so that's why I was not questioning. I was like, yeah. I was believing in the system. Mm-hmm. And I was so sure. You had faith system, in that. I had faith in it. Even though I remember there were many, many, many uh, situations where I started questioning the approach, how they were teaching us, the approach a doctor is towards a patient, you know, always from above. Mm-hmm. You always look down. And these are moments where I remember mm, where I felt this is going the wrong direction, but my faith was still stronger. Right, okay. And the belief in the concept of, of mm-hmm. medicine, right? Were there any specific examples you can remember of this intuitive? Uh, discomfort that you were feeling whilst learning a certain yes, thing, especially when we were we were having because because this um, you know, the, the the education is based on theory and practice. Mm-hmm. So you have got already theory where you study all the diseases, diagnoses, and treatments, and then you go to the ward, 
Yeah. And then you have groups of students who follow a doctor and all the other staff members. And then we do, basically, we learn on the patient the stuff we, we learned in the theory on the mm -hmm. book. But in the university hospitals, it's very common that you have like the big boss, then you've got little bosses mm -hmm. and smaller bosses. And I remember when we were doing the wards, you had like 15, 15 people dressed in white. Mm -hmm. You didn't know. I knew we had like five students and you have like five little bosses, two bigger and the biggest one. It was like a pyramid. Right. So the boss goes first and then you see who's coming last and we were only the last ones. And then you had the big boss who was telling you, oh, this is Mrs. Smith and she has this and this. And then he just points at one of the students, which was always awkward, awkward feeling. And he says, <clears throat> what treatment would you do? Then he asked another one, <clears throat> what diagnosis would you do? And you always, I was always under immense stress because, man, there's so much to learn. Sometimes you didn't know the answer. Mm -hmm. And then everyone looked at you like, you're the idiot. <laughs> I look at him, he's, uh, he's a shit student, right? <laughs> so you're sweating, right? And <clears throat> what annoys me the most, it's not just that you're being exposed sometimes like an idiot, even though you're not, but mm -hmm. you were just under stress and you didn't know the answer. You didn't know what he wants. Sometimes they were like asking very specific things. Right. Just, you know, just to see how good you are. But basically they were doing this to make fun of you, let's right. be honest. But more <clears throat> what I hated the most was the fact that the patient, imagine you're a patient, you have like 15 people in white, you don't know who is who, they speak a language you don't understand, so mm -hmm. you've got all this Latin bullshit you throw, and then at the end of it, he looks at you and goes, you'll be fine, Mrs. Smith, bye, <laughs> and then 15 guys in white leave, and I, many, many times I looked at the patient, and I saw in their face the expression of, what the hell does it mean? Yeah. Where is it going from now on? Confused, right? Absolute like, how do you confusion. interpret that? You're like a guinea pig like in, a, in a zoo almost. In a zoo, yes. <laughs> and then you see the confusion and this um, sometimes disappointment, anger, frustration. And I remember many, many times I approached the patient and said, once we finish, I come to you and I explain what happens. And they were like, oh, Thanks. so grateful. And it was just five minutes of my time just to explain what we just discussed. Right, okay. And this, I remember, is what I've done. Back in the days, I realized that this is the wrong approach. Something is not right. And I don't know why. Maybe they, with the time and the amount of stress and work, you get detached or maybe those people were never made to be doctors. That's the other thing where I've re recognized. I've realized that uh, in Germany or in Poland, we say someone who becomes a doctor or wants to be a doctor needs to have the calling. Mm -hmm. We call it the calling. You sure. have to have something within you that is... The spirit empathy, to help, right? The spirit to help, the empathy. You do it for the good of somebody else. Sure. And I can always distinguish, and there are a lot of people who had it, but more than 50% of them did not have it mm -hmm. at all. And you could tell when you ask them, <clears throat> why are you here when they're 18? I've got good marks. I don't know what else to do. Imagine that. <clears throat> My parents told me to become a doctor. I do it. Right. I want to be rich and famous. So you already distinguish why you study between those who 
is the intention. Not right? made, and those who have this good spirit and intention and yeah. will go, becoming good doctors. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think intention, as we've, we've learned as we grow up, is, is super important. And yeah, I think patients appreciate that that warm, welcoming, open, compassionate intention to to someone you like you're you're super vulnerable right like this is what's uh, so crazy about the medical practice for me is that it's so cold sometimes it's It's so clinical absolutely and don't get me wrong i'm not like trying to put down the entire profession but it's it's very impersonal yes it's not a very Very um you know it's just like you you described that really well like uh, how you know 15 guys in or girls in a white coat sort of looking at you as if you're sort of some alien. animal like an behind, animal, a, like an alien, behind exactly. a cage is, is a bit we learn things on you mm-hmm. like a guinea pig absolutely mm. it's very important was there um, was there any of the theory side of things that you were learning at the time that were, were unsettling that you thought eh, that doesn't sit right with me or why why do we do this in this or if you thought you understood uh, something differently? Every now and then you you're confronted with reality when you're in the ward and you see patients and then you start questioning why are we doing this and that mm-hmm. why shouldn't we do this and that. But this is just um, a lack of practice. Right. Okay. I came to realize that the more practice you have and the more you get to know um, the patient, the situation, you kind of get like an algorithm mm-hmm. and then you know, okay, which direction it goes. Right, yes. okay. But that was very rare. Most, most of the time I was like, okay, this is the case. This is what has to be done. Mm-hmm. So... You mentioned as well something there about this idea of people being detached from the patient. Is that is that coming from an intentional detachment because you just can't personally be attached to the patient? Is it is mm-hmm. it just is it an intentional distance that's created because it's not seen as professional maybe to to connect no. on that level? Mm-hmm. Where's that coming from? Do you think? This, from my experience, it's coming from. This is very interesting because the more empathy you have, the more the patient feels the comfort of being well treated. Mm-hmm. And the more empathy you have towards someone, the, the more you try to do all the best there is possible. Mm-hmm. And I want to do everything I can possibly to, to help this person. But if you get attached to someone, and this person, for instance, dies or gets very sick, you will suffer. Yes. So this is a very important thing. It's a very small line between empathy and detachment, so you don't suffer. Right. I've realized this when I was doing pediatrician, pediatrics. Pediatrics, yeah. Pediatrics with kids. And that's when I realized I cannot be a pediatrician like my grandmother. Right. Because seeing a two-, three-, four-year-old kid suffering I couldn't handle it. Right. I Every time I went home, I, I felt really, really bad. Mm-hmm. I was really, really sad. Because a, a grown-up who's sick, I can deal with a lot better. And I can tell them, listen, you have this and this and that. And this person, I can see it, gets it or not. Mm-hmm. I can still try to explain to him as good as I can and tell him this is going to happen or not. But with the kid, it's not the case. Mm-hmm. First of all, because kids don't get it. Some of them don't know why they're sick. They're not sick. Right. 
they're not sometimes they're not fully aware of the um, significant disease they have. And then you see the parents who are suffering a lot. You get all the energy from them. Mm -hmm. And this is something I could not bear. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing where I realized that if you get too much attached to each patient, you're not going to make it. You won't last. It, right. It's going to run you down. So that's why most doctors, they seem like they're very impersonal, maybe because years of experience, Maybe there was never, it's a lack of empathy, mm -hmm. but somehow you... It's a defense mechanism, right? It's, it could be defense mechanism. It could be defense mechanism, yes. Because I guess that would make sense because especially when you, uh, when we've discussed before about how there's no uh, course, which is crazy in my mind, that there's no module on how to deal with the mental aspect of being a doctor, you know, like of, like you say, you're absorbing people's energy, whether mm -hmm. it's a child, whether it's an adult, mm -hmm. or whatever the situation is, like, people are coming to you with trauma, yes. and whether you like it or not, you're absorbing that stress mm -hmm. in some energetic way, inevitably, you can't ignore that, and especially when you factor in that you're sometimes going to have to tell someone that a loved one has died or the worst has happened, it's mind-blowing to think that there's no module that prepares you or you know gives you some sort of support, let's say, to, to manage those situations. There's no such thing. This is a lack of, uh, in this medical system, that teaches you how to cope with difficult situations and, and Difficult situations are the situation where someone dies. Mm -hmm. Someone dies, and then you have to deal with it. And then you, s a natural way of it is questioning: Have I done everything right? Have I done everything according to algorithms? Was this necessary or necessary? So it's a huge burden mm -hmm. you carry already if someone dies. Of course. And the other thing is, like we spoke about when someone dies and you have to tell the relatives that this and this person died mm -hmm. and how to do it. It's another thing. You don't learn that. Yeah, there's no there's, practice. There's, there's no, no, no... Exactly. You know, how do you, how do you navigate that? How do you such navigate, a, exactly. How do you deal with it? And then, um, like I told you, um, mostly you just have to continue with your day-to-day -day work. Mm-hmm. And be focused, and that's something I miss in the medical uh, education. Because there's, it's always about the patient, the patient, the patient, the patient. It's never about us. Right? How do I deal with the situation? Yes. How do I cope with this stress? Um, none of this. So basically, when you finish your 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 university, you basically start, and then you're there, and then you have to deal with this with everything mm -hmm. which is there and no one is preparing you for that no one i've seen i've seen young doctors crying i've seen young doctors being angry furious being sick because because not you're not prepared for that mm -hmm. even though you see this day to day as a student but you don't have the responsibility yeah. and then suddenly what changes is you've got this piece of paper that says Congratulations, you have the degree. Now you have the responsibility. Mm -hmm. Here we go. It's a huge responsibility. Huge responsibility. Yeah. And then everyone expects you to be like, 
you know every you're supposed to know everything now. Yeah. You're supposed to be this and this and this and you're young and you you're vital and come on, stop crying, stop the, and suddenly everything changes. Everything mm. changes. It's a huge pressure, huge expectations once you, you get to that level and uh, just really why 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 do you think that is? Why is there no uh, help? Because there's that seems very good question. Because I think this is important. Like I don't think many people think of the other side of the coin you of don't. doctors and the amount of stress and like I, I think people know how the working hours and how intense that is. But then you've got the mental stress on top of that. Yes, it's a it's a really it could be traumatic for a lot of a lot it of people. It is very traumatic. It is very traumatic. And um, you, I think it is from what I've observed. This medical system is a system where you have your boss, your underbosses, and the one on top of the pyramid always forgets what it was like to be fresh from university. They just, I had always the thing, they tend to forget that when you come fresh from university, you are not perfect. Mm -hmm. You have to learn so much. Sure. You do a lot of mistakes. That's the only way you can learn, right? And they forget and somehow they just, they either forget because they went through and that is the mechanism of defense mm -hmm. or it's, just, it's, just, it's the system itself that is not healthy. I think that's so, a lack of... Uh, it feels like a lack of compassion to me is that it's missing from the entire system and that's crazy when you're dealing with humans that are sick like the fact that the, there is no compassion both to your staff to help them and then there's this coldness and this uh, distance that's created to the patient as well mm -hmm. I mean in my personal opinion I just don't believe you have to be like that for success or for the sake of the profession. I think there could be a nice middle ground where Absolutely. you connect on a deeper level and, and you just, you don't see someone as a, as a number on a bed. Right? And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to take it to the extreme and you have to spend hours with people because that's not practical too. I appreciate there's stresses, there's time yes. restrictions and, mm. you know, life's not perfect, but it feels, it just feels very clinical and there's this lack of warmth absolutely to the whole process Not and even to patient and stuff yeah exactly absolutely. exactly absolutely. but uh, a good example is when i told you that i spent erasmus in madrid mm -hmm. and the clinic there was completely different and now i know one of the reason is that they had more stuff than you have in Germany. Like so you I had more you, time, right? For more time. Patient. So that means no one was stressed. Here in Germany, like I told you, you have like five to six doctors per ward. Mm -hmm. There you had like 10 to 12. Right, okay. So that means the amount of work is less. So you, you don't have to stress yourself that mm -hmm. much. You don't have this time, constantly time, 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 time. I have to do this, 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 this. I have so much to do. There was... No one start mm -hmm. work before eight. In Germany, you start seven. Right. At twelve, everybody goes to lunch. Here, no one. You can only go to lunch if you have time. Right. At four, they finish work. Here in Germany, six, seven. Wow. So, that's what I realized is that 
there this health system was better. They earn less, but somehow they have more capacity, more more staff members. Okay. And here you earn more, but less people they do the job. Mm -hmm. So here is what I've experienced. It's a business module. How can we save money to make more money? It's all about profit. Mm -hmm. Okay, we cut down the numbers. What? Stuff. It's always stuff. Right. Less stuff. Less, less, less. To the, to the point where you just have a very short number of people doing a lot. And this is a new pressure. Mm -hmm. This is something that was not the case, I suppose, back in the days. And the other thing is, uh, is that there is, I think back in the days there was less um, specialties. Right. Now you've got so many specialties and everything is um, technically advanced. So whatever there is, you send patients to this diagnosis, this diagnosis, to this, 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 this. Back in the days, it was not the case. It was more um, holistic. But in terms of you see the whole person, Right, okay. You and don't today, get lost just sending You don't get lost the in exactly because you have to have this results and this and blood and this sonar and rentgen and da, 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 da. and then based on that we know what this person has or mm -hmm. how to help. Back in the days it was just more there's a patient, you speak, you talk, and then you do one, two diagnostic things and then this person will be fine, you know. It's interesting. They're relying on the technique, on mm. the technology. Oh, they're so dependent on the technology. This is another thing. Back in the days, I remember my grandmother, when they were taught in university, she said there was, you had to diagnose the patient completely. In those days, the diagnosis is very small, the history of, 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 of the patient. But you rely so much on the te technique, technology that there's the first detachment. You know, right? I don't see the whole person anymore. I just say, oh, he's a knee problem. I just focus on the knee, and I don't care about anything else. Mm -hmm. And there is the first detection between the patient and the and the doctors. Back in the days, you had to have the whole person, and regarding on if it's knee or knee, you can focus on the knee. But first, it's the entire patient. And this is not the case anymore. So this is, I think, we get into the heart of the. Uh, the real core of the issue, in my opinion, with the medical practice, in that there's no, there's two things for me. It's not holistic, yes. it's, and also it's um, there's, there's no real room for health and healing. So yes. if we break those down, because I love this, I feel like words can be really powerful. So if we look at the holistic example, a doctor gives a prescription. Mm -hmm. And the word prescriptive literally means narrow-mindedness. If you are if you are prescriptive with something, you are very tunnel vision and very focused on a narrow set of perspectives. And that's what doctors do. They give prescriptions for a specific use mm. to treat a specific symptom. Yes. And it's quite frankly bananas. It because this bananas. assumption that you can do this guided missile strike on the body to eliminate this problem without ramifications and consequences 
I mean, they clearly know there's consequences. That's why we have this nonsense of side effects, which mm. are just, as we've discussed many a time, just direct effects. There's, direct, no, yes. there's no side there's effects, no side right? Effect. It's just it, you're putting a chemical in your body that is causing a direct effect. And that's because you have a holistic ecosystem, which Absolutely. is your body. And you can't, if you just address one thing, a symptom, you're going to kick out other things, whether it's your endocrine system or you name, pick your, mm. pick your thing, mm. pick your, um, your biology that's going to cause disequilibrium, you know? And so this is, uh, I feel like this is a really big issue that, because they're both linked, right? The holistic healing is linked to the health because mm -hmm. you can't have health without a holistic approach, in my opinion. Yes. So if you're narrow-minded in this, in this clinical process, you, you're never really looking at health. And, I mean, never. There, there was never any, uh, from, to my knowledge, any real module on diet, on, no. you know, on, on exercise, let's say, or, you know, even sunlight, you know, it's just basic, it's basic stuff. And... It's, it blows my mind, quite frankly, that you mm. can throw out a whole... Because that is science. Let's not, let's not sugarcoat it. That is, you know, there is science to nutrition, to, to, to physical education and all these aspects, you know. It's just that it doesn't fit in the framework of the medical practice and, and model, which it's, it's like a religion, really, when you think about it. There's no space for evolution or growth. There's no room to criticise and there's no... Uh, room to grow as a as a as an understanding. It's just this established science, which is rooted in what it knows to be true. Mm -hmm. But but we know from our own experience in life that we probably healed ourselves with whatever was going on personally better when we started addressing diet, when we started meditating more, when yes. we started being in around nature more, and you know, so. How much of that do you think is intentional and hmm. how much is just unintended consequences? Well, from my perspective now, it's all intentional. Yeah. It is 100% intentional. I'm very, very, I'm very sad to say it, but it's my personal opinion. It's intentional. But who is the best uh, client, a sick client? And... What is the best client when he's sick your entire life? It's business. It's pure business. The whole medical system is... I'm not talking about the emergency ER. Mm -hmm. Let's say someone has a car accident. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. That's... Yeah, That's like, I like the operation with my heart. But I'm a perfect example. They fix my, yeah. my, uh, my heart failure. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about the 90% of the medicine, where you mm -hmm. have people with chronic diseases, autoimmune diseases, and so on, so on, so on. We just focus on um, very simple results made by diagnostic technology who don't fit, and then we start treating them with chemical things to adjust just this one parameter. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's not there to heal a human being. And this is very, very sad. It's not. It's, uh, it is intentional. It is intentional, 100%. Because it's business. It's it, exactly. is, it is business. The entire, I remember the entire medical 
education was based on pharmaceutical studies and pharmaceutical companies telling you what to do, uh, what to give when the person A has these and these symptoms. Mm -hmm. That's it. They even ha we even had uh, subjects like holistic medicine and nutrition, mm -hmm. but they abolished those subjects. They're not there anymore. Interesting. They used to be. They abolished all of them. Even was uh, homeopathy and acupuncture abolished everything. It's not part of the education anymore. That's incredible. Yes, that's really mind blowing. Yes, there was back in the days. Back in the days, my one of my ex girlfriends, and she was three years ahead of me. She had uh, one subject where you had um, naturopath. Mm -hmm. So you went to the gardens and you learned everything about plant medicine. Ah, oh, beautiful. Abolished it. It's not part of the education <laughs> anymore. So that's an example why it's intentional what they do and how they focus. Which makes sense, right? You can't put a patent on nature. You yes. just can't you can't you can't market nature when it's you can go to the forest and Absolutely. pick pick these weeds and these homeopathic Absolutely. remedies Absolutely. and herbal remedies, you know. And it's funny, um, like um, they say, oh, most of the diseases are related to our lifestyle. I, I wouldn't say all, but most of the diseases, like makes sense, heart, uh, diabetes, overweight. It's all lifestyle. That means lack of lack of um, sports, movement, mm -hmm. like yeah, and then wrong diets, and then you have a. A whole range of therapies, therapies based on chemicals. You feed those pure people instead of telling them to change the diet. Mm -hmm. Just change your diet, change your mindset, uh, go out, and then everything will be fine. You can help yourself. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot easier. And here it's also the self-responsibility of the human, sure. of the people. To say, okay, I am the problem, I cause it myself, okay, I can get rid of it by doing this and this. Mm -hmm. But they believe or they think it's easier to go to a doctor who prescribes me a chemical and I can continue my lifestyle, which is comfortable for me, mm -hmm. without changing anything, and then I feel better. Mm -hmm. And the doctors play this game. They say, okay, we'll give, I prescribe you this medication, this medication, this medication. See you in three months, see you in six months, see you next year. And then you play this game. And then each year they have to raise the dose or add another chemical because the previous one was not enough. And with the time, these people get more and more sick. Because obviously, right, your body is becoming tolerant to the drug. Absolutely. And it's just a vicious cycle that you've and introduced. And then you have direct side effects, <laughs> direct effects coming on top of it. And the people are just... That compounds not, the issue yes. even more. And they're not willing to change themselves. Be self-responsible, uh, self-aware, reflecting. And the doctors are not encouraging it. Mm -hmm. They're not saying, listen, mate, I don't want you to see anymore. I'm not teaching you. I'm not helping you. Yeah. If you don't do this, this and this, change your diet, blah, 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 blah. No one will do that. They don't. It's, it's crazy when you break it down like that because there's actually no incentive to heal people. Yes. Because that's when the revenue stream starts drying up. There's, you know, this is partly why a doctor will never recommend fasting. 
Never, you know, because it's fasting is not healthy. Fasting is dangerous. <laughs> yeah. That's what you learn. If you don't eat five days, you die. Some <laughs> bullshit like this. Exactly. But this, we have to, we have to be specific that it's in Western culture, True. medicine. Ayurvedic medicine is different. Of course. That for sure you do have fasting. Yeah. But here, no way. Well, they're, they're only recently doing studies proving, the, I think it was in Newcastle University there, five, ten years ago, they, they basically proved that you can solve and, and cure type 2 diabetes from 800 calories a day, which is pretty much intermittent fasting. You know, yes. you're, you're just working on really low calories and you can do that for, I forget the length of time, it might have been a few weeks, two, three weeks. Um, but it, it was very obvious, you know, and yeah, there's just no, like, like you said, they're, they're incentivized to keep you coming back. And this is something that's really disturbing for me because especially in countries like Germany, UK, where, where the healthcare is socialized, i.e. it's free, mm-hmm. What's what's the cost there? You know, because we think it's free. It's not. But it's not free. It's a business. It's a huge business. It's, a, it's an enormous business, and it's funny that we don't see it that way. We think, oh, America is you know terrible for mm. this private practice that and the, and the way that operates. And don't get me wrong, there's some inherent. I sympathise with the with the problems of not being able to afford to be treated, but. This is what's really dangerous in my mind about this socialized healthcare is that it completely removes personal responsibility. Absolutely. And your personal health is always your personal responsibility. I can't emphasize that enough. You can't ever externalize responsibility for your personal health. And yes. this is some of the psychosis that's going on now with, with COVID is that with yes. this 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 perspective has been so is so common now, is so we take our own personal health for, for granted so much mm. that we're we're constantly seeking or outsourcing our decision making process to these godlike figures that we've put on a pedestal called doctors. Yes, and if they're not incentivized to behave the right way, well, how many people are being misdiagnosed? How many people are being given drugs and therapies which? are really not necessary and there's, there's way more harmless mm-hmm. substances that they could try, natural substances mm-hmm. they could try. And um, I'm really interested in this idea of, of how socialized healthcare makes people lazy. Makes them absolutely lazy. Especially it brings me back to, to what you mentioned a little while ago uh, off mic about the how many people come to the uh, doctor with nothing wrong with them nothing and how much of a waste of resources and time is that on on the system because they're just they just know they can they can turn up and they'll get seen but absolutely you know how many hypochondriacs are there Abs- out there hypochondriac a lot yeah and uh, a lot of people have psychological problems that's another one and they projected on physical like psychosomatic right you know? mm-hmm. and they think oh, something's wrong with my body but okay no it's not you've got a psychological problem mm-hmm. and uh, I've realized that they, um, a lot of people just come to see a doctor just to have a little chat <laughs> which you know, is crazy right? yeah and then they go out and say oh, he was a great doctor because he helped me and then you 
ask what did he do, and then nothing. He just listened to your mm -hmm. to your uh, problem you're having with the neighbor, for instance, mm -hmm. right? And this is very common, especially with older people, right? And um, I truly believe that, and this is based on um, friends who are private insured and who have to, if you go to a doctor, you have to pay yourself a certain amount and then if you go above, then the insurance covers, they never go to a doctor because they always tell me, if I go to a doctor, I have to pay. Mm -hmm. So they're self-responsible and they're self-aware and they're always healthy. Whereas other people where they have the social security, where they don't have to pay, they're constantly the doctor. Mm -hmm. I went because I had a sore, th sore th uh, toe, really, or I had, I don't know, coffee, mm -hmm. or like bollocks, nonsense, really. I had 37 fever, that's not even fever, but I went to a doctor because it's for free. Mm -hmm. So you have these type of people, and... Um, a middle thing should be the, the one. That's, that's what that's I feel. That's a middle yeah. thing, yeah. Yeah, because the, where, there's clearly a, a role missing in society that yes. people need someone who is an expert in lifestyle choices and, and sort of living a holistic and, and healthy lifestyle that can be a bit more informal than a doctor, that could be someone you could check in with and just be like, hey, I've got this thing. I don't know if it's, you know, psychosomatic, but... I've not been eating great recently. What do you think? You know, just bounce some ideas mm. off people where it's a bit more informal when you're not you you've not gone through this rigorous training to be this pinnacle of advice. You know, it's such a it's it feels like medicine's trying to do too much almost. You know, there there's a real I think there's a, a lot of space for for just sort of more holistic healers in 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 general. And uh, it should be. They should be, but I, I hope that people will <coughs> eventually reflect and go back to what it was meant to be. I think some people are. It's just our systems are breaking down right now, and I think that's what we're seeing. And and the the craziness of this psychology is is a perfect example in the coronavirus for me because everything's been marketed as as you don't do things for you anymore you do it to protect other people mm, and this yeah. narrative i find fascinating because there's no such thing as public health there's just personal health yes you are not responsible for anyone else's health you can't yes. you can't physically be responsible it's madness you just yes. can't be responsible what i eat what i smoke what i drink is all on me i can't yes. there's a beautiful meme of um of a of a of, a, of an attractive young lady running in a in a in all her running gear, and there's a uh, there's an enormously overweight woman in a mobile scooter with a mask on, and he's, she's pointing and shouting at her, "Put your mask on!" <laughs> you know, it's just like that's the level of insanity where we've completely detached from our own personal responsibility and projected it onto other people now, and. Uh, I, I guess as we're on masks, that would be uh, an interesting one. So you, you as a surgeon, had to yes. had to had to wear a mask, right? And so, yes, so, sometimes six to eight hours a day. So why? Firstly, why did you have to wear a mask? And then, secondly, were there any consequences? Well, you have to wear masks to protect the patient when you have an operation going on to make sure that nothing 
comes out of my mouth or nose into the wound. Nothing being... Like my saliva, if I sneeze, cough. The mask is only there to protect the patient. It's not to protect myself. Mm -hmm. Of course, if I was doing orthopedic surgery and then you're cutting a bone and blood is, you know... Right. You don't want to get spraying. You don't want to get any of that in your open mm -hmm. mouth or eyes. Mm -hmm. And so you're wearing masks. But uh, actually it was invented to make sure that nothing lands in the wound and then the wound becomes septic. Right. And then the patient can die of the septic. So your bacteria, right? Yeah, none for of instance, your bacteria. None of my, exactly. Right. That's why you've scrapped, that's why it's austero. Mm -hmm. But when you wear a mask, you inhale your CO2. Sure. And if you do it over a long period of time, you eventually develop some kind of uh, respiratory issues. In my case, I remember that it started a year after I was working that I had uh, a bronchitis. And this bronchitis was getting worse and worse and worse. And then I start speaking to, to the rest of the staff and I realized that pretty much everyone had some kind of issues, some kind of respiratory issues. Mm -hmm. And I started asking the questions, why and who has it? And, and the answer was always, it's the aircon. It's the aircon. It's the aircon. It's the aircon. Because in the war, in the operation ward, you have always aircons, and the the pressure is higher to make sure that nothing gets from the outside. So there's a higher pressure, and it's cooler to make sure that whatever is in the ward always goes out, never mm -hmm. comes in. And I and I took it for granted. Now I know it was. Wearing the mask and breathing all CO2 work has an effect, a negative effect. Effect, and they, <clears throat> funny, I went to two specialists and they were like, "Oh yeah, just take cortisol." Uh, you know cortisol. Cortisol, yeah. Cortisol, and I was like. First of all, I told him, listen, I'm a, I am a colleague, I'm a doctor, you can't just fucking <laughs> tell me take the cortisol without, you yeah. know, not even a diagnose, nothing. Wow. And, and, then, and then I said, there must be another way, because I'm not willing to take cortisol. Cortisol, I know what it does to you. Right. And they were always very confused. They were like, oh, so who are you, the specialists? Or I am the specialist. Oh, wow. Some of them were very offended. That's why I changed them, and I said... You're an idiot. You're the worst doctor ever, you know. But that's the way, they, that's their approach. I know better because I'm the specialist. I'll tell you what to do. And eventually I found one and I told him what I want to be done. And he says, okay, we do as you want. So I was confused. I said, you're the specialist and I have to tell you what to do. <laughs> that was that was the weird backward process. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and I was confused. I was like, imagine people who don't know anything. And they go to a doctor and they just take it for granted and then, 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 then they take those medications and, and hoping that they will, they will get better, which is not the case. If you take cortisone long term, you get so sick because your entire immune system is down. It's not functioning anymore. Mm. A lot of other diseases and issues and symptoms will arise. And I was not willing to do it. So I told him I want to do a diagnostic. So they do a bronchoscopy and they did the bronchoscopy to see what the cause is. Then he had this diagnosis of I've got an allergic alveolitis. I said, allergic to what? <laughs> what's, oh, we don't know. And I said, what's the treatment? Cortisol. 
And I was like, that's it. And I said, no more. So what I did, I just, I started to do sports again. I changed my diet and miraculously, three, four months later, I was better. Right. But it was not gone. I still had it, you know. Right. And then when I quit my job and went traveling, it disappeared completely. So, I mean, by the process of elimination, seems, seems pretty obvious, right? Absolutely. So, wow. that, yeah. And now I know it was, it was breathing your own CO2 that caused my, my, my problems. What was the turning point for you, the real, like, moment that you understood that this practice is not about healing and it was sort of... When, when did that shift of perspective happen? Uh, once I quit. But was there anything before that that was really, like, reinforcing that this is not the right approach or...? Um, maybe one thing is, like I told you before, I never, never, ever truly identify myself as the doctor. That was something I never really resonated with. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's one reason. The other reason is, um, it was nothing that happened and I was like, oh, that's the reason. No, it was more like a process, mm -hmm. process of waking up, mm -hmm. process of waking up and realizing that what I'm doing is actually not really beneficial for me and I'm not very I'm not identifying myself with what it's what I'm doing okay so it's quite a personal thing in, it in was fact. yes I realized that what I'm doing and I'm doing orthopedic and plastic surgery it's nothing that I believe is something that helps mm -hmm. and does good and this is something I see myself doing in the future right so it was a natural falling out of love almost with yes. your career and yes. your profession. Yes, absolutely. And I had the chance to, like I said, change and do something else in terms of change the direction. Like I was thinking about becoming an anesthetist, right. to anesthesiology, because I did one-year one anesthesiology in the clinic and I really enjoyed it and I liked it. But I was not 100% convinced this is the thing. Mm -hmm. So I just made up my mind and I quit. And I told myself, you just go and travel for one year. And after the year, you just come back and then you see how you feel. Mm -hmm. And if you continue or if you start something else. Because uh, that's also something I realized that um, I say 80% of the students don't know what I want to become when they finish, when they graduate. And then I, and then I said, I assume that maybe one third of the um, doctors or one third of the people finishing university, starting something, realize halfway through, this is not what I really want to do. Sure. And then they change. Because you can change. You can always change. Another one third of the people I've realized they don't change because they say I've come so far I don't want to begin from scratch I just continue you know and this is something I, I didn't really resonate with so what shifted in your perspective once you quit was it 
other external things that you were discovering in your life at that yes. time that were influencing your perspective and your understanding of, of your body and your, yeah. uh, the world at large? Spirituality. What, what role was that playing in, in this evolution? Well, spirit, when I discovered spirituality, um, I realized that I'm not this body. Right. And I am more than this body. M meta and... Uh, what do you call it? And the mind. And the mind. Mind and meta. And medicine is only meta. And that was a turning point. That's when I realized, oh... It's just half the equation. It's just half of the equation. You're a lot more than you think. Mm -hmm. And through discovering this and living this, I know for sure that what I was doing was the wrong thing. Absolutely the wrong thing. Because there's no space for spirituality. It's so funny. You only see the meta. It's always the physical meta. There's no space for spirituality, for energy, for frequency. There's nothing like mm -hmm. that. It's in solving medicine. a specific problem, and uh, a physical problem. It's always a physical problem. Yeah. Physical cause, physical problem. Mm -hmm. No, not that's not true. There's mental, mental problems. But even those, they, they don't even get close to dealing with the mental because yes. it's it's not like a broken leg. You can't diagnose yes. a depression in the same Absolutely. way you can diagnose a broken leg. Yes. You know that's why they struggle so much because yes. it's more, it's more esoteric. It's more. Uh, metaphysical problems mm. and even 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 problem Absolutely. even problem I don't even think is the right approach because that implies you're broken you know like I think um, I think the body has an incredible power to to heal itself if it's given Absolutely. the right fuel Absolutely. and the right the, the yes. right direction and the right encouragement and there's no this comes back to what we were saying earlier about the no role of health in in the system you the, there's no role for healing. So when you're when you're having this, um, what what was it for you that that was that first experience then of of, of discovering this sense of, of spirituality? Was there a particular moment after you left medicine? Mm, it was a process. It was a process. It was a journey, which I went and slowly, slowly discovering, uh, chanting yoga, vipassana, and then realizing, oh, there's so much more substance. Mm -hmm. there's, there's like another world I'm living in. And this, with the time, made me change my perception of, of what I was doing or who I am. It was nothing that came like that. It was more like a process, mm -hmm. developing step by step by step. Well, so like you say, it's a whole new field of learning, right? Absolutely. Something that has been completely discarded from the medicinal model and um, yes, I guess you would call Eastern philosophy, really. There's a clear divide between Western and Eastern philosophy yes. on how to uh, approach the human condition and how mm. to deal with this mind-matter-complex mm. phenomena because uh, it's a complex thing. We're a complex ecosystem mm. and... Unless you look at the totality of the problem, the whole problem, you can't really get to the heart of the imbalance because Absolutely. I think we probably both agree that it's sickness it. is yes. just 
is is an imbalance, it's imbalance. or it's, or it's a tension with energy. Yes. And and your sickness is actually trying to show you something. It shows you exactly. It just shows you there is a problem, mm -hmm. and you can solve the problem by paying attention what the problem is, and tune in, and see what I can change to overcome it. Mm -hmm. It's very very simple. It's, it's completely different to it the It is completely to different to what I've learned, yeah. exactly. But like I said, there's no space for spirituality. There's no space for frequency, energy, exactly. Mm -hmm. There's no space in medicine. It is, it is very sad. It's very sad. I even remember when my mother was very, very sick and it was getting worse and worse. Her doctor, he was a famous oncologist for me, uh, told her maybe you should start praying, and I was very confused because I was wow I, yes, I was very confused because back in the days I did not believe in the divine. I was not very spiritual, and I was very confused that we go to this very highly recommended oncologist professor, doctor, 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 and he was telling her, you know, to my mom. Yeah, maybe you should start praying. I pray a lot. That doesn't fill you with confidence, does it? And exactly. And that was one of the moments where I was like, started questioning everything. I was like, hold on, something is not right. That means he doesn't know jack shit. He's not capable. He's clueless and he can't help her. That means the whole system is wrong. Mm -hmm. Something is wrong. And that's when I started, started questioning the whole uh, concept of medicine and watching her suffering was just uh, horrendous and yeah that that was that was maybe one of the reasons why i was like mm, okay where is this coming from how can i fit this well they're at a loss with so many chronic illnesses they they can't even really diagnose a lot of the autoimmune diseases they just straight up don't know what's happening they you know, it's how can you solve a problem if you if you're not even aware of what the problem is, where it's coming from, you know, and you're just in this vicious cycle of treating symptoms all the time, like we've discussed with the side effects and compounding the issues. And um I just think there's so much space for a, a specialist who can step back, look yes. at look at you as an entire human being and address or not even address, just communicate about your lifestyle. You know, I've seen it myself. I'm not educated in formally in science, but I've been witness to a housemate who had a diagnosis, and he was just given some painkillers, and that was it. There was no questions about what's your diet, what's your, you know, are you sleeping well, are you exercising, are you meditating? It's just really basic questions mm -hmm. that... That once you start exploring the fact that these aspects of your life, these lifestyles, mm. really contribute to make you uh, as a as a as an energy, it really influences your energy. You know, from your nutrition, it's your fuel source. The the practice of breath work, you know, is is regulating your your hormones through regulating your vibration and stress. Obviously, I mean, stress is obviously a huge factor in illness and causing inflammation. So, all these very personal uh, therapies, really, you can you can be your own therapist by Absolutely. by by taking control, by taking responsibility for these things, and. 
and I think we can I can speak for both of us when I say like our health has really improved when we started engaging with these various lifestyle choices whether it be quitting drinking mm-hmm. or you know just uh, just eating clean mm-hmm. obviously the meditation and stuff so it's um, it's really because that's the message that I think is really important it's actually really empowering once you take full responsibility full of this because because then I don't need to outsource my decisions to a doctor about being healthy. And if I, if I have a problem, I have a problem. I'll, I'll try and sit with that problem and try and understand what it is yes. that is going on in my body. Why am, I in, in, why, why am I having this disequilibrium of, of, of experience? And is there some trapped energy? Is that related to a certain chakra? Do, is that... Is that some emotional trauma somewhere that I've not dealt with? There's so many different questions, and there's just not a there's no there's not many people to go to to explore these ideas. That I think slowly they're becoming more popular. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you, you you know a few people that that practice holistic medicine and stuff, mm-hmm. and I feel like different forms of energy healing, whether it's Reiki or you know hypnotherapy, you know something things that will. T- we see it were classified as alternative mm. therapies, let's mm. say. But um, the reason the alternative therapies are growing in popularity is because the, the, the medicine practice, medicinal practice is so handicapped, right? Like there's just certain stuff they cannot deal with, you know, take the autoimmune or take epilepsy. They're clueless. They take cancer. Take, that's they another big one. Cancer is foundations, like the biggest business ever. They've been... You know, science, yeah? And they've been doing science for, what, 56 years? And they said, don't know how to cure cancer. And this is a proof to me that it's... They, they will not, because they don't want to. They're not trying to. It doesn't They're sound like it, right? To. Exactly. You cannot yeah. tell me 21st century, with the amount of money they get, that we're talking about billions, a billions year. a year, not capable of healing people of cancer. And then you go to a holistic doctor who tells you, take these minerals and you'll be fine, and you'll be fine. Period. Cancer's a fascinating one for me, and I remember thinking that when I was young, like, all that money, all the technology exactly. and uh, advancements, exactly. and we still don't have a clue. Don't. No, 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 it's worse than that. We actually, the, the therapeutics are poisoning yes. people. It's, yes. it's, it's worse than not knowing. It's our approach is to make you even more sick. Yes. You know, obviously there are some people that do react positively to, to radio or chemo, but I mean the percentages are still pretty low, let's Very be let's low. let's be honest. And and even boiling cancer down, what is cancer? It's your own body attacking itself, essentially. Uh, no, no, no. No? It's no. your cells. That's autoimmune. That's autoimmune. I thought it was your cells mutating. Mutating. So they're mutating, okay. Cells so mutating. not as but it's direct. Again, again, it's a sign that something is in right. Disbalance, and you can always rewind and help yourself, mm. heal yourself. The funny thing is, alternative medicine is the medicine that's been here for hundreds of thousands of years, right. and the medicine I've been doing has been there for, let's say, after the Second World War, where it started to be more uh, clinical. chemical, clinical based. Mm-hmm. So let's put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. How can they claim to have the medicine? And to help everyone, and we are so advanced. Yeah. And if you look outside, why is everyone sick? 
if we're so good and so advanced, how come yeah. everyone is chronic illness is on the rise? You've got allergies on the rise, autism on the rise. I've got like the feeling that the the better, of course, not or more advanced the medicine is, the more people are sick. It just doesn't make sense. Well, that's the craziness of our system, isn't it? The <laughs> the the metrics they measure success under. Mm. If a hospital is seeing more patients a year, that's business. That's, business that's great business. Great business, absolutely. Which is just a great indicator of people. More people are sick, but that's yes. not the incentive. The incentive is not to get people off drugs and off and healing themselves. It's just not the business model, and I think that's something people don't realize. And it's, it's so evident now with this coronavirus that that is the business model. It's, there's, it's no doubt in my mind, you know, why, why do you need, if, if, if we're, if this virus is so dangerous and this vaccine is so important for our lives, why do you have to market it? Mm-hmm. If, it if, if it's really that groundbreaking and it's going to save so many lives, what are we doing marketing it? Everyone Absolutely. would be rushing to take exactly. it if it was really Absolutely. necessary. Absolutely, 100%. And if the, 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 the pandemic is so deadly, how come no one Dying. No. Look at the numbers. It's below zero. <laughs> below zero. Well, there's a difficulty here because of the the way they're they're numbering uh, obviously deaths with this very wide definition that's never before been used in 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 defining how you die from something. I mean, yeah. I mean a, a month after testing positive. Yes, exactly. like, I mean, yes. example. Plenty of examples of people yes. get hit by cars and you know COVID death heart attack or COVID death, you know, it's it, nothing in the history of medicine has been categorized this way, which is, has to be a massive red flag for people that, that, uh, there's, there's some doctoring going on of these statistics and, um, everything's being inflated. You've got the PCR test, obviously with false positives yes. and it's so inflated. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's a very up is down and down is up uh, at the moment. And this is why I think it's so important for people to take personal responsibility for their health, right? Because this yes. is the only way you are healthy is mm-hmm. by your own personal decisions with your daily life and taking this responsibility and saying, today I'm going to eat well, today I'm going to go running. Whatever it is, you know, just be kind to yourself. And Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a strange... Tune into yourself. Be aware of your body, aware of your thoughts, observe it. Don't run to institutions and institutions and other people and expect them to help you and do the thinking for you. Yeah, well said. This is this is the past. You have to take self-responsibility for everything, every choice you make. And then you will, you will instantly, I know from myself, Feel and see the changes, the beneficial changes occurring in your life from day to day. You won't see something changing from day to tomorrow. But if you look back now, five months, six months, a year or two years, it's unbelievable and incredible how much I changed and what beautiful things occur and um, how my life is today. It's just unbelievable. What's, what's your key to success personally, would you say, in that time? What's, what's been, how, do, how have you maintained that, that mindset and that following motivation? Following your intuition. For me, following your intuition. 
Everybody has the intuition. We just have to tune into intuition. Once we tune into intuition, we're on the right path. And then everything will fall into, um, how can you say it? Harmony. Into harmony. Absolutely. And then mm, be... Mm, self-discipline is very important. Mm-hmm. And be patient. Patient. And there's always fallbacks. Don't worry about it. Get up, stand up, and then follow your intuition, follow your path. And everything will be just fine, just perfect. I think it's important to trust yourself, isn't it? Trust yourself. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is what I mean with intuition. Trust your intuition. The inner calling, it always knows what is best for you. Mm-hmm. It's not your ego. It's just, it's just, it's a feeling. It's not even a voice. It's a feeling mm-hmm. I have. If I ask myself, what should I do if I... Is this right for me? Is this right for me? What decision should I make? It's always the feeling. And this is what I call the intuition. What is right for me? Mm-hmm. And then it w- it's getting better and better through meditation, through Vipassana meditation. And then mm, life unfolds. It's beauty and it's become so incredibly beautiful, colorful. Who would have thought that I'll be here sitting with you talking about these things and... Um, being a lot happier than what I was five, six, ten years ago. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Where, I, where everyone else was telling me regarding regarding to the social uh, status, I must be very happy as a doctor. You've reached everything. You have the status. You have the money. Why aren't you happy? See, here we go. I wasn't happy because it was not meant to be. It was not for me. Now you're uh, a gypsy nomad. Now I'm a gypsy nomad <laughs> living in my father's Never been place. happier. <laughs> and yeah, and I feel lighter, lighter, more connected and happier. And this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think we're going through a very interesting time. I see it as this big revelation where all the lies uh, that we've all built up over these decades of what is true and what is necessary in society and how how we need the government and these institutions, mm. it's all crumbling, it's all falling it apart. And, and the only way you can navigate that uh, disruptive process is to, like you say, tune in, is to access that personal truth Yes. and, and ask yourself some deep questions. Who Absolutely. am I? What's my yes. purpose? Don't be Absolutely. scared to, to connect with Don't yourself on a deeper level. Yes. And, mm. you know... Uh, be brave in, in making some bold choices. If, if, if something's mm. not right for you, then you, you can say no. You know, yes. and, and I think that's what's been so liberating for both of us is is this uh, rejection of society, really, mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in our own personal way. You, your medicine, and me personally, a year ago, pretty much today, I quit working in a corporate environment. And it's so liberating to just be on your own path and not be answerable to anyone and yes. I, I feel very privileged to, to be able to walk that path yes I'm the same absolutely I actually started my path today four years ago ah nice <laughs> happy anniversary <laughs> happy anniversary <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's been four years beautiful amazing interesting exciting four years and I'm really looking forward to see what next few years will mm-hmm. bring to me show me it's a steep learning curve, isn't it, in that it time? Is. It is. In such a short space of time, how Very, much you can yeah. 
Especially, uh, the, the last year was the most intense one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the last year was the most important, most intense, and the most liberating year. Thanks through Vipassana. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, 100%. What was your biggest lesson of the past 12 months, would you say? If you can pick one, or is that to Be in love. <laughs> love. For me, love. Love to yourself and love to everyone, every being, everything. This just it's just a game changer. Love is for me the most powerful state of mind being weapon. <laughs> it's the key to um, for me to happiness. Yeah. Love is the way. Love is the way, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Says the hippie doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I'm surprised. It feels like I've got the answer now. Through Vipassana, I've, I've got the answer. I was always asking, what is it? What is it? What am I? What is important? And love is the answer. For me, love is the answer. Because love opens everything. Everything. Beautiful. We'll see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> on that note, brother, I think that's perfect to... Uh to leave it on that point thank you so much I thank you brother thank you very much it's been a pleasure I really <laughs> As enjoyed always. it I really enjoyed it it was just go with the flow it was really nice we're, we're very good at chatting yes. you know this <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you very much to be continued yeah until next time until next time <laughs> cool thanks man <laughs>